Are you ready for the word this morning? Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, I believe in the God of the Bible. How about you? I believe in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who created all things and upholds all things by the word of his power. I believe in the God who rewards those of us who diligently seek him. Our Father, today we come to you with grateful hearts and thanksgiving for all the good things that you have done for us and all the wonderful things you have given to us. We could never thank you enough. We could never praise you enough. We could never have adequate words to describe your greatness and your glory. But we're going to try anyway. We're going to work at it anyway because we know that as we give glory to God that our faith is strengthened and we know that the more we magnify you, the bigger you are in our lives. Or we know we can't change you, but we know that you can change us. And so, Father, we ask you to do that today and open your word to us. In the name of Jesus, we ask, amen. Amen, amen, amen. On the first day of the month, the spirit of prophecy came into this room and the Lord spoke to us. I want to give you a quotation from something that was spoken on that day. I'm praising now because the future is bright. Things are on the horizon. The best is yet to come. We are entering the last quarter of 2023, and I want to declare to you this will be the best quarter of the year. In the name of Jesus, this will be the best quarter of the year. Hallelujah. And it is going to open the way for the year 2024, which will be a year of visitation from God. People will dream dreams, and people will see visions, and people will hear the voice of the Lord in ways they have never heard Him before. It will even begin before the end of this year. 2024 will be a great year of visitation in this place. And for those who are committed and connected and partnered here, they will receive this kind of blessing and visitation of the Lord. This year of breakthrough and blessings will lead us into times of His refreshing and visitation that is going to be so glorious. Right now, we are entering into it. It's upon us, and we can rejoice in it right now. Amen? Let's rejoice. Father, we thank you for visitations from the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord, for visitation of angels. Thank you, Lord, for precious words of prophecy. Thank you, Father God, for the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit in full manifestation. We believe you, Lord, that we are entering into our very best days, our very best season. We believe, Lord, that the things that you have spoken to us about of expansion and growth and blessing, that it's the season for those things to be manifested and to come to pass. And so, Lord, we rejoice over your goodness, and we rejoice in what you're doing, and we rejoice in what you're saying. Lord, we thank you for giving us guidance and direction, for showing us our part and our place and what we need to do for the next step so that you can be magnified and glorified in our lives by being able to do all that you want to do in us and for us and through us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Today we're coming to the last part. I know you, some of you don't believe it probably. But the last part of our teaching about the spiritual law of faith, 
four spiritual laws that we wanted to talk about. The first one was the law of love, the royal law, James 2.8. The second was the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 8. And then right now we're talking about the law of faith, Romans 3.27 is where those words are used. And we will get to the law of sowing and reaping. But this law of faith has taken a few Sundays to get through. There's a lot to it. We're not covering everything even in this uh, expanded time here, but uh, enough to get us started maybe. It's on the right, right direction. What is the law of faith? What does that mean? You know, law means that it works for everybody. That includes you and me. It works everywhere. That's right here or wherever you are. That means also that it works all the time. So whether the sun's out and it's beautiful or whether it's cloudy and wet and rainy, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter the circumstance of the hour or the day, the law of faith always works. So it works for you and it works for me. Praise the Lord. Now, what is the law of faith? Well, the law of faith is what happens. It's a description of what takes place when I believe in my heart what God has already said. When I accept his word, I believe it to the point that I am willing to confess it or proclaim it or to speak it with my mouth as truth. And when I do that, then God responds by bringing his word to pass. It's really that simple. I hear the word. He sends the word. He initiates it. He tells us what he's willing to do. And then I believe it. I pick it up and I begin to declare it. And then God comes back in on the end of that uh, process and brings his word to pass. Jesus described it in Mark eleven twenty two and 23. Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13. And in Jeremiah 1 and 12, we're told that God watches over his word to perform it. All these passages we've talked about in prior Sundays, so go back and listen to that. It's free and available to you, but we just don't have time today to cover all those verses again. Our example, of course, in this particular, uh, uh, looking at this law, is Abraham. And Romans chapter 4, verse 12, talks about his steps of faith. And those steps are outlined for us in verses 17 through 21. Now, you see, Abraham could not produce his miracle. He could not make it happen on his own. Only God could do that. However, for God to do that in the earth realm... Abraham's faith was essential. Just like your miracle becomes essential that somebody has to believe. Because Abraham's faith in the word of God would release the flow of the power of God into his life. It would turn the impossible situation around and God's promise came to pass. And we know that that's exactly what happened. Abraham's faith was vocal and active. The only way your faith is going to work for you is it has to be vocal and it has to be active. Those around Abraham knew what he believed. Even as he was called by the name of Abraham, and I'm sure insisted that he be called by that name as it was God himself who changed his name to Abraham. All the time, people around him knew what he believed. And so it is, if you really want your faith to work, you're going to have to get vocal and active enough till people know what you believe. They're going to have to know that you mean business, that you're a believer in the supernatural. You're a believer in the God of miracles. 
You believe in the healer, you believe in the deliverer, you believe in the provider, and there is absolutely nothing that he will not do for those who believe. The things that are impossible with man are possible with God. Now we've looked at four of those steps of faith. They're given to us in verses 17 through 21 in Romans chapter 4. Number one was calling those things which be not as though they were. Spent a lot of time there. Number two, believing in supernatural hope spiritual hope as opposed to natural hope alone. We covered that. Number three, he considered not his own body. It doesn't mean he didn't know what was going on with his body. He knew how old he was. He knew all about that. But he chose to dismiss that and put his hope in what God had told him. That hope took him, uh, took, that hope was his anchor right into the very presence of the throne room of God. And thank God our hope will do the same for us. And then the last thing we learned last week is he didn't stagger at the promise of God through unbelief. He chose to believe. I promise you, you'll have opportunities to stagger. I promise you there'll be things, there'll be circumstances, and there will even be other people as well as demons and evil spirits that are going to try to get you to stagger. Because you see, this whole faith business is something the devil cannot handle. So he has to get you off your faith. And so I like to say it this way. If you don't quit, the devil has to. But if you do quit, the devil wins. And you might say, well, I don't think that's fair. I don't like that. You'll have to talk to God about that. Because that's just how it is. Amen. Today, I want to look at the last of these steps. And that's found in verse number 20 of Romans chapter 4. It says, uh, we will reread something we read last week and then go into this part. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Giving glory to God. You will never, and I say that with assurance that I'm telling you the truth, you will never be strong in faith if you don't learn to give glory to God. You can't be. There is no such thing as a strong faith that gives no glory to God. And this is so simple that anyone can do it. It's just a choice that we make. It isn't based on our personality, whether we're an introvert or an extrovert, whether we're, quote, people person or not, uh, whether we're uh, kind of uh, awkward in crowds. None of that has anything to do with this, unless you let it. But it changes nothing about this. Anybody can give glory to God. You don't have to be a PhD. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be overly smart to give glory to God. It is so simple. I would say a caveman could do it, but uh, it is so simple that anybody can do it because it's not based on our personalities. It's based on God's nature. It's based on the personality of God. Now, the New Testament word for glory here in verse 20 is the Greek word doxa. We get the word doxology from it. It means dignity. It means honor. It means praise and worship. I want to I just give you those words again. It means dignity, honor, praise, 
and worship. When we give glory, then we get glory. When we give glory, we have glory. Now, in the Old Testament, there's a word, kobod. And that is a Hebrew word for glory. And it has much to do with weightiness, heaviness. And it is, it is saying to us the very heaviness, and I don't mean that negatively, I mean that very positively, the heaviness of the presence of God, the manifested presence of God is His glory. You remember in Second Chronicles chapter 5 at the dedication of Solomon's temple, the glory of God came down when the people had been giving Him glory through their praise and worship and their, their becoming as one in praising God. The glory of God came down to the point where the priests could not stand up. They fell under the power of God. The glory was so heavy. And so when we think about both of those words, it makes maybe a little more sense when I make this statement. When we give glory, when we give dignity, when we give honor, when we give praise and we give worship, then we have the heaviness, the glory, the presence of Almighty God. And that's the great key to worship. That's the great key to a worship service. That's the great key to, to walking with God. Because we cannot do this on our own. No matter how strong we are physically, no matter how strong we are mentally, no matter how well educated we are, there's nothing in the natural that's going to get the, the job done that we need to live the great and good life God's called us to live. It's going to take the supernatural. And, and because we're modern, quote unquote, modern people, doesn't mean we don't need the supernatural. I mean, with all the advances of science in so many different areas, in many ways, our world is worse now than it was 100 years ago or 200 years ago. We have some conveniences our grandparents didn't have, but we also have dangers and problems that our grandparents never even imagined or thought about. So the answer is not in the natural. Your answer is not in the newest phone, the, the newest computer, the newest architecture, the newest drugs, the newest treatments. Your answer is where it's always been. It's in the Word of God. And God's Word, producing faith, is what's going to get you onto the road to the blessing, the miracle that you need. And so Abraham began to do all of these things we're talking about. And though it may sound like a long list, really, it's, you know, once you get this in your spirit, it's not complicated. While he was calling things as though, uh, that are not as though they were, believing in supernatural hope, uh, not considering and dwelling on his body and all the symptoms and all that stuff and not staggering, not wavering, not getting off his faith, not on one day and off the next, joyful one day and not the next. No, when he stayed steady, he was able to give glory to God and God liked it. God liked it. Amen. Our worship and our praise, or we might say giving glory to God, it's the same thing, is an exchange with God. You see, whether you realized it or not, what you came in here, when you came in here today, your degree of participation in glorifying God was the degree of an exchange you get with God. And we have to be very careful that we don't let other people glorify God for us. 
that really doesn't work. And let me give you a little example of what I'm talking about. And don't misunderstand me because I'm not saying what I'm getting ready to mention. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But I'm saying it's not essential. I'm, I'm sorry, it's not sufficient. And here it is. A lot of people think because they surround themselves and the atmosphere they live in, their cars they're driving along, because they listen to uh, gospel music, Christian music, that that's enough. And, you know, I like good music. I love good music. I enjoy good music. And I also enjoy music that some of you would think was bad music. <laughs> you know, Glenna says amen. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, uh, what, so I, I love that. And certainly it's better than listening to some demonically inspired mess from the world. That's basically, you know, based on lusts of the flesh and demonic activity. But here's the point I'm trying to make. If I listen all the time, every time I commute, or as I'm going through the house and doing work or whatever, if I always listen to somebody else glorifying God and I don't lift my voice, and I don't sing, and I don't confess, and I don't proclaim, then what I'm doing is I'm listening to somebody else glorify God, which is good. But I'm still not getting the fullness that I need to get out of my own faith. So I'm not saying never listen. But I'm saying don't let somebody else do all your praising for you. Amen. We Pentecostals, you know, we are known for our exuberant singing. Uh, we're, we're, we're one of those groups in the church world that many times go to church and they sweat before they get out of the service. We're known for exuberant singing. We're known for joyful praise. <laughs> and we're known for intense worship. And of course, opinions are all over the place. All over the place. I, I, you know, it's, it's almost funny, if it wasn't really sad, it would be funny, is, uh, you know, certain threads you can get into on uh, social media, like, uh, for instance, on YouTube, and you hear these these dear preachers, you know, with all these initials after their name and all of this, you know, pomp and dignity that they try to maintain, criticize the way you were worshiping today. I heard one fellow say, it's just monotonous singing. And I'm thinking, I wonder what he's going to do when he gets to heaven and he hears those seraphim and cherubim singing the same things over and over and over again. I wonder if about a thousand years of that, if, if he'll say, this is just monotonous singing. No, I don't think so. I believe the mind will get changed, get renewed. But the point I'm making is a lot of people have a lot of opinions about praise and worship. But what they're doing is they're missing the point. Because worship is not about me. It's not about you. It's really not about what I like or don't like. And there's a point in place where we can insert our tastes and preferences, and it's not a problem, but, it's re but primarily it's not about me. Worship and praise is for an audience of one. It's a command performance. You know, when, when, the, when the queen or the king, for instance, like of England, when they, when they uh, set up a, a, a performance in the palace and, and it's, it's for them. They call that a command performance. You know, 
you're under command by the, by the king, by the sovereign, that you are to come and, and do your thing. And so that's the primary audience. That's who you want to please. Well, we are coming every Sunday, every Wednesday, and really living our lives every day for an audience of one. It's a command performance. It always should be our best. It always should be the highest quality we can give. It should always be done with joy and in faith. Amen. So it's about who our praise is for. Not the style necessarily, the sound or the key, uh, the instrumentation or the arrangement. And all that's important. It has its place. Don't misunderstand me. We want the best we can have always. But our worship and praise or our glorifying of God is about honor and glorifying and praising the God of the universe. And you know, we read the prophecy earlier about the visitation that God spoke to us about. You know, if you're preparing, uh, I'm sorry, if you are expecting important company, you know you prepare, don't you? If you've got someone you really honor and esteem and they're coming to your house for dinner, are you going to give them paper plates from Aldi's? Now, if I'm eating one of my favorite ice cream things that breaks pieces of chocolate off, I, may, I will get a paper plate from Aldi and hold it under here and, <laughs> and eat it so I don't get chocolate all over what I'm wearing, which doesn't look like it's all that great anyway, but I still don't want chocolate all over it. Point is, if, you, if you're having company, if you're having a visitation, you're probably going to vacuum the floors. You're going to make sure the dishes are washed. You're going to make sure if they're spending the night that the linens are clean. You're going to make sure that there's a place for them to wash up and take a shower and all that's clean. You're just going to go the extra mile. Folks, if we believe that we're coming into a season, oh, if we believe we're coming into a time of supernatural visitation from God, then it is essential that we prepare for his visit. I know he's here. I know he's in us. He's in us when we go to Kroger this afternoon, if that's where you go, or a restaurant or wherever, or go back home. I know he's in us. But I'm talking about a visitation when God shows up. And in visitations, when God shows up, people don't have to ask what's happening. They may not even use the word visitation, but they know this ain't church as usual. <laughs> that's where we're going. That's where we're going. So proclamation, confession, music, and song are primary ways that we give glory to God and simultaneously, while we're doing this, we're growing strong in our faith. So if you would have been around Abraham, you would have heard him giving glory to God. And you know, you may not be a singer, you may not be a musician, uh, and all of that. But you know, if you can do this and say glory to God, then you're getting it. It's really simple. Glory to God. I'll, I'll do it again in case you missed it. Glory to God. He grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Proclamation, confession, declarations, all of that's really the same area. Music and song 
are the primary ways that we give glory to God and simultaneously grow strong in our faith. Audible praise, whether it's private or public, pleases God. It is so powerful that it will actually create an atmosphere. Psalm 22 talks about God inhabiting the praises of Israel or the praises of His people, as we say sometimes. That is a spiritual principle. It creates an atmosphere for God to come down in His glory. Uh, not only does it create an atmosphere, but, but it moves people. It moves people. And it affects spirits. It affects spirits. Whether it's the human spirit whether it is a demon spirit or whether it is a ministering spirit or an angelic spirit. Praise and worship, music and song affects spirit beings. Remember when Saul was tormented by an evil spirit? He wanted David to come and do what? Play. Play skillfully. He wanted that atmosphere to change. And when David worshipped, because he wasn't just playing. You know, you can go to Nashville and, and, and there's all kinds of people that can do music. But there's a whole lot of difference in playing music and ministering music. And there's a whole lot of difference between singing a song and ministering a song. And the thing about ministry is the less conscious you are of yourself, the more conscious you will be of God. And the more conscious the minister is of God, whether it's a music minister or a teaching ministry or whatever, the more conscious that person is of God, the more of God is ministered to people. So, you know, yeah, you're going to see people that you don't like how they look. You wouldn't dress the way they dress. If they gave you all their clothes, you, you wouldn't wear your hair the way they do. You, you wouldn't do your face up the way they do it or whatever. But it's not about us, remember. It's about God. Hallelujah. Satan, before his fall, was a worshiper in heaven. Now, you can look in Ezekiel chapter 28 or Isaiah chapter 14. Uh, that'd be a good little thing to study sometime this week, and you'll, you'll see what I'm saying. Before his fall, he was Lucifer, son of the morning. And he had the ability to make music. It would seem from the, the scriptures that even within himself, he was created uh, to be able to just make music within himself. He didn't invent music. He didn't invent song. That was something God invented. God's a creator. But Satan was entrusted to, uh, as you, if you read those passages, to cover God with praises. Now, since his fall, of course, Satan now works to pervert and abuse, uh, you know, pervert and abuse the core elements of worship, Proclamation, music, and song. And if you think about it, you can see that. Since the fall, Satan has worked and is working now to pervert the real purpose of music, to abuse the, the real meaning of, and the core elements of worship and proclamation, music, and song. Because he knows that there is a power in this to affect spirits and actually... Uh, to focus the thinking and the emotions of people. And Satan, of course, wants to take the emotions and the thinking of people in the wrong places. 
and in the wrong direction. I mean, just think about it. There are songs that when you hear, it immediately, immediately takes you back. Sitting on the dock of the bay, you know, some of you. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Ave Maria. It's amazing. You know, the devil knows that's what it does. It takes us somewhere. He knows it's powerful to take people back. It's powerful to take people away. And it can energize the present. And he wants to pervert all that and make it wrong. Actually, the, this whole aspect is one of the most powerful triggers there, are, there is. One of the most powerful triggers there is, is this whole element of music and song. So what we want to do as believers is to not allow the perverted version to take us where we don't need to be and to energize us in the wrong direction, but to take this giving glory to God principle into the right place where that we are in unity and at one with God and, and we're able then to get the benefits God wants us to have. You see, the fall of Lucifer did not change God's estimation of praise. The fall of Lucifer did not take away the significance of worship and music and proclamation and all that that would bring to the moment. But the fall of Lucifer and a third of that angelic host left a void in heaven that God wanted filled. And I, to me, this is marvelous news. I hope it excites you, some, some at least. He chose us for that position. He chose redeemed men and women for that position to fill that void. It's now my job, and I don't mean that in a negative way. It's my privilege to cover God with my praises. And yes, we'll do it when we get to heaven, but through the Holy Spirit, God is here. So just a while ago, we were covering God with our praises. You know, when you get to heaven for the very first time in a glorified body, or you, you, know, you go on and you, 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 you wake up in heaven, that shouldn't be the first time you've experienced some of these things. Though you might not have been in proximity to the throne uh, you know, fully, completely, you should have experienced the presence and the glory of God many, many, many times before. And one of the most powerful ways that is triggered in our life, and I mean that in a good way, is when we are giving glory to God. Amen. So you were chosen for that position. Now, God is not an egomaniac. He's not a narcissist. He, uh, you know, praise and worship, giving glory to God, isn't about stroking his ego or his emotions or keeping him from getting angry or, you know, keeping him from getting his feelings hurt. That's not what it's about. Praise is, and I, I hope you'll, you'll get this uh, statement in your spirit, praise is, in a sense, the very atmosphere of heaven itself. When we fill a room like this with praise, it's a little taste of heaven. It's a little bit of what heaven is like. And I don't know what it does to you to get into the praise and worship of God and kind of get lost in that presence of God. But I know for me, it makes me forget about how old I am. 
It makes me forget about other things that I might be believing God for or battling against, you know, little things in your body that the devil tries to do and this, that, and the other. Uh, The presence of God causes all that to just be forgotten. So why wouldn't we want the presence of God more and more in our house, in our car, wherever we might be? Praise is the very atmosphere of heaven itself. Giving glory to God in worship is the natural and logical response of being in His presence. Only a fool would get in the presence of Almighty God and not worship. And the only person who ever decided he wouldn't do it anymore got thrown out of heaven. I don't want to be in that crowd. Giving glory to God in worship is the natural and logical response of being in the presence of God. Praise and worship is the aspect of thanksgiving and acknowledgement of God that releases His power and His blessings into our lives. You'll never be strong in faith if you never give glory to God. Psalm chapter 31 verse 1 says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely. I'm this old King James, comely. That's not a word we use today. We'll define it in a moment. Praise is comely for the upright. Psalm 147.1 says, Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God. For it is pleasant, and praise is comely. The word comely there means proper. It means befitting. It means appropriate. Praise is the appropriate thing for an upright person. It is the proper thing to do. When you look up the word in Webster's, it's an old English word, of course, it means having a pleasing appearance. It means you ain't homely. (laughs) Having a pleasing appearance. In short, praise attracts God to us. Anybody that's ever been in love, anybody that's married, which should be one and the same thing, you know. (laughs) Hopefully you're still in love. Why did you connect with that person? Why did you pursue them? Why did you give them the time of day, as we say? Why did you... Allow your life to become so involved with that person. Well, one of the things was you were attracted to them. What made them attractive? Now that is different things to different people, so I'm not going to get into all of that. But what made them attractive? Well, I can tell you that if you want to attract God into your life and your situation, you're going to have to give glory to God. You're going to have to be a praiser. You might not be a naturally loud person, boisterous person. You might not be an extrovert. But you're going to have to somehow manage to get over some of that, at least where God is concerned. And you're going to have to open your mouth. And you're going to have to make your entire being, including your physical body, available for praise and worship to God. You know, David did that. We all love about to talk about David, don't we? He's one of the great heroes of the Bible, made some really serious mistakes, but he he is such a great example of a person that's all in. I mean, David did not uh, halfway do stuff. I mean, when he did good things, he did it big. And even when he did bad things, he did it big. I mean, that's just who he was. 
But uh, we, like, you know, we like to use him as an example in so many ways. And one of my favorite examples of David um, going all in was when he brought the uh, Ark of the Covenant up to Mount Zion. And he took off his outer garments. He wasn't indecent, but he took off his outer garments. And you know, you've got to realize he took off his outer garments because, as we would say, he's fixing to move. So, you know, not all, all, not all clothes are really shouting clothes. Maybe I should take off this coat. <laughs> Hallelujah. But he, he, uh, he was preparing himself. And you remember that his wife, her name was Michael. She was the daughter of Saul, his predecessor. And she was looking and she saw this parade and David was so thrilled. You know, they'd made one attempt and, and uh, it ended up disastrous and and uh, the Ark of the Covenant was left parked for a while. And David heard about how blessed the house of Obed-Edom was because the, the Ark of the Covenant was in their house. And, and you know, you got to realize he was thinking, I want that blessing. We don't want to leave it down there for those folks. We're going to bring it up here. So he finally got it right. He got up there. And as he came, they were going a few steps. And then they would stop and they would make sacrifice to God. And, and they were worshiping. And David, the Bible says, danced before the Lord with all his might. I mean, you think about it. All his might. I'm pretty sure he sweated. I'm pretty sure that it wasn't pretty all the time. This wasn't a choreographed ballet type thing. There were no, no extra props that we know of. It was just hands, feet, elbows, knees, ankles, and <laughs> all the rest dancing before the Lord with all his might. And you know, God loved it. But his wife didn't. She saw it, and so when he finally got home that day, she just let him have it. And, you know, I'm paraphrasing. You can read the story. I, I'll give you the, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 6. But she basically told him, you made a fool out of yourself today. You're the king. You know, you're not supposed to act that way. And he basically told her, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> Guys, you got to love a man that's not afraid of his wife. <laughs> Hallelujah. But if you want to know one of the great secrets to David's victories, and there were many of them, it's that he was a man of praise. He was a man of worship from the time he was a kid. That's why I enjoy seeing these young people up here, these, these kids up here, these teenagers up here singing and praising because if they will make this a lifestyle choice for the rest of their life, there is no telling where they're going to go before this is all over. Amen. Hallelujah. That's right. Amen. And so our reaction to God must be more than just formulas and confessions. And they're essential. I mean, we're teaching about steps of faith. We're teaching about confessions. We make um, confessions together, you know, over our offerings. You know, usually once a month we go through all those financial confessions. We believe in that. But our reaction to God has to be more than formulas and confessions. Though they are essential, we must also include the power of song and praise and obedient worship if we're going to experience all that God has for us. Paul and Silas were in jail in Philippi. Acts chapter 16, you know the story. And the Bible says they were in the inner prison. 
This would have been a horrible place to be, a first century jail, a first century Roman jail, and you're a Jew, and you have been preaching Jesus, and I mean, you got all the, you know, everything was against them legally and culturally there at that moment, pretty much. And so they threw him in the inner prison, and the Bible says, and at midnight, they prayed, and they whined, and they cried. And they demanded their one phone call. And I want to see my lawyer. And you know, no, no, it doesn't say that, does it? It says, and at midnight they prayed and sang praises unto God. And it doesn't stop there. It says, and the prisoners heard them. So they weren't just, thank you, Jesus. Ooh, thank you, Lord. No, they were, they were praising the Lord. I got I got to believe that there were people in the other parts of that jail that were thinking these are nuts. <laughs> I thought I was in jail. They brought me to the insane asylum. It's it's not the, but you know they they trusted, and they believed. You know what happened? God obviously looked over the banisters of heaven and said, "Hmm, who is that? What well, I hear that? We know he he didn't actually do all that, but he enjoyed what he heard, and he did what he responded. He responded. And shook that jail to everybody was free. Even those who might have thought Paul and Silas were crazy. Even those who didn't understand what praise was all about. Even those that were obviously criminals in jail. But they were all loosed because of their obedience. I wonder who in your household, who in your family, who in your workplace will get free when you're free. Will get free when you give glory to God. Hallelujah. When they see the hand of God and the power of God at work in your life. Oh, hallelujah. In Isaiah 54, the barren woman's told to sing. Sing. In that culture, that would have been the last thing this woman would have wanted to, would have wanted to do. But she's encouraged to sing. Why? Because that's how you're going to release your praise. Giving glory to God is going to turn the situation around. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus came into town and uh, people were praising the Lord and they were giving glory to God and they were, they were lifting up and exalting Jesus and the religious leaders of the day, they, they didn't like it. And they said, don't you hear what these are saying? And he said, you know, have you not read? And he was referring to, Matt, to Psalm chapter 8. He said, have you not read? That out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. Well, if you read Psalm 8 where he was quoting, you know what it says. Perfected strength. Or have I got it the other way around? But praise is equated with strength by the Lord Jesus. So you will never be what? Strong in faith. Unless you're a praiser. And not only that, but Psalm chapter 8 tells us that our praise stills. S-T-I-L-L-S. It shuts up. It makes to be quiet the enemy. How does my praise cause the enemy to be quiet? Well, because when I'm praising, I can't hear him. <laughs> it doesn't mean that when I praise God, the devil all of a sudden is mute. It just means I put him on mute. You know, have you ever had something, you know, going like on your phone, some kind of video or something, and somebody comes in the room to talk to you, and, and you know, you can, you can mute it? 
Well, that's what we do with the devil. When he's coming in and saying, you're not going to make it this time. I know you got an answer to prayer, you know, so long ago. I know that you've been healed before. And I know that this need got met. The bill got paid. You got through it one time, but this time you're going to die. This time you're not going to make it. It's not going to work this time. And, and you know what you do? You put him on mute. You just begin to open your mouth and say, in the name of Jesus... The God who is the same yesterday and today and forevermore is my God and he's alive and well right now and the God that did heal me will heal me again. I know that he did meet a need. He'll meet this other need. There is nothing too hard for the Lord and just begin to give glory to God. (coughs) Give glory to God. Don't just listen to others give glory to God. They can't do it for you, but you give glory to God. We'll never be strong in faith unless we give glory to God. I want our our, uh, folks to come. We're going to give glory to God. Amen? You know, this is a miraculous day. It's not even 1130. (laughs) So if nothing else, you give glory to God for that. You're going to beat the Methodist to the uh, restaurant. (laughs) Hallelujah. Just joking, we love the Methodists. Praise the Lord. You may not feel like it. There have been many, many, many times that I've just not felt like singing. I've not felt like praising. To be honest with you, there have been times when I just felt like not even coming to church. Just stay home. Just crash. And you know, people do that sometimes. But one of the reasons that that God has been so marvelous in my life is because He knows. You know, I don't get. There's a lot of things I don't get right, but He knows this. I'm going to be there. If I'm possibly able to do it, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to give glory to God. I'm going to sing no matter what I feel like. I'm going to sing no matter what I just heard before I came to the meeting. I'm going, to, I'm going to sing no matter what happened last week or what might be going to happen tomorrow. I'm still going to give glory to God. And that's what it's all about. I don't have to figure it all out. You know, just because you know something about faith does not mean you know everything that how God's going to do it all. Our faith is not in... The process we've determined should be in place. Our faith is in the God who can fix the process. That's one reason that banner says faith in Him dictates that He determines the process. But that's not all. And He guarantees the outcome. I like God's outcomes. Thank you, Jesus. So we're going to sing like it was 10 o'clock and everybody's fresh we're going to sing like you just drunk four cups of strong coffee and we're going to make a joyful noise to the Lord now you might say well pastor I have a need in my life this is your opportunity to get that need met that's right God does things in many different ways and we love the laying on of hands and we love all of the different varieties of ways to minister the anointing of God (laughs) this morning you can shout your way to your victory 
You can run, you can dance, you can shout, you can praise your way through anything. Thank you, Jesus. Through anything. And when you feel like it, the least is when you need to do it the most. That's right. When you're the most frustrated, when you're the most sad, when you're the most aggravated, when, when it just seems like you've tried all you know to try and, and you just don't know what's going to happen. What do you do? You do what Abraham did when he was 98 years old and still didn't have a child. And his wife was, at that time, 88 and never had had a child. What do you do? You give glory to God. Hallelujah. You give glory to God. Because you see, it's not about how old I am. It's not about what blood type I have. It's not about what the x-ray said. It's not about what the lab test said. It's not about what the doctor's report is. It's not about the lawyer's letter. It's not about the judge's decree. It's not about what the person said that they didn't love you or they didn't, you know, whatever, blah, blah, 